fantasy and some flights. Exploring the realms of beer, board games, books, and bourbon. Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy and Some Flights podcast. I'm Nelson. I'm Dalton. You're gonna have to mute. I like just grunted when you like started talking. <laughs> I like taking. I didn't. So I didn't have the zoom up. I was actually looking at like um, Audacity, <laughs> like where we record, to make sure my right. mic was working. And so you started talking, and then I was like, Ugh, and I saw like the little sound wave, and I was like, what was that? <laughs> oh, that was me. <laughs> oh, oh no, oh no, oh that me. <laughs> oh, that's. Okay, well, well, yeah, we're very professional here. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, so we are continuing on in our design cycle season stage. We yeah. we should probably Insert figure cool out how to market this. Here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whatever you think is a cool name, that's what we're calling it. Yeah, go ahead so, and like send it to us because I, you know, now that we're done, well, it would be great, <laughs> great to go backdate it all. Yeah, we'll back we'll back order. Them, yeah, man. exactly, exactly. But yeah, but our d- design series thing. Our design series. There we go. Yep. And today we are talking with someone who's actually been on the podcast before, McKay, who goes by the Board Game Critic or the Board Critic on Instagram. And so he just had a successful Kickstarter of Snack Time, which is a roll and write. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to come on and kind of talk to us about the Kickstarter process. Jonathan McKenzie from Teradice a couple of weeks ago talked to us about pre-Kickstarter and all of that. We had Sherwin come on to talk to us about Steamforge games and designing in a team. And now we have someone who's completed a Kickstarter to talk about that, as well as he has started his own company to design board games. And so McKay's coming on, super awesome guy. And so I'm excited to talk to him uh, yeah. about about his his journey. Yeah, absolutely. We, um, we've had McKay on for... I think it was expansions, maybe? It was expansions, yeah. Yeah, expansions episode a while ago. And we're also, uh, we participate in the board ventures with him. Um, so we've gotten to know him really well. We're excited to um, to have him on and have a conversation about this and pick his brain a little bit more. This really great creative and, and design-based you know mind that he has. Um, we're excited to get into it. But can I say the thing? You can say the thing. Before we do that, <laughs> Nelson, what's on your flight tonight? <laughs> Oh, I thought you were going to say what's on your flight is and you go first. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. You go first. (laughs) (laughs) So I am drinking a, I'm going back to the tried and true IPA. And I picked out the one that I found that had the most incredible name I have ever found. So this is from Great Lakes Brewing Company. And this beer is called the Great Lakes IPA. So super clever. Almost, almost as good as we are at naming our segments. That's right. <laughs> but but this is a this is a it came out of a mix pack that I picked up at the at the grocery store that came with it was I think you had brought it up actually a couple episodes ago it was one of these like take five or something like that where there are five different beers and three of each so instead of a twelve oh, pack yeah. it's a fifteen pack yep which instantly drew me in it's a fairly non harsh IPA I would say it is a little bit on the hoppier side it's not going to be like super fruity or super citrusy but it is it's not like going to hit you in the face with hops. Yep. IBUs around 50. Um it's a little bit higher of an alcohol content than our, than my last beer it's at a 6.5. So we'll see how many I go through. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but it it is nice. I mean, I would say that this is the least imposing, least aggressive, least I'm trying to think of the adjective uh like least unassuming or the most unassuming IPA, right? It's mm-hmm. just an IPA. That's what it is. Checks the box. It checks a box. Can't even be bothered they, they to did name it. it. Can't even be bothered to exactly. <laughs> and so it, it, it's very much a 
okay. Like, if you want an IPA, you're not going to be disappointed with this one. It's going to be something that I would not necessarily go find outside of a mix pack or anything like that. But being in a mix pack, I'm happy that it's there. I'm okay with it taking up three out of the 15 slots. But I'm going to give it a two cheers just because it doesn't... It, it's not exciting. Yeah. Right? right? It's yeah. not an exciting beer. It is, you know, the tried and true. It's, you know, the beige IPA, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's that... We're going to be happy about it. So the kind of the problem with that is that it does taste lower than its APV. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it could be dangerous in that point. at that point. So I, I'm glad that they only included three. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to be careful with a six-pack, I guess. But yeah, I feel like but, as I've... I, I, see, I have this conflicting thing where I'm like starting to get into IPAs. It's something I've been trying to do for a long time. Um, and so I don't... I, I feel like... IPAs on the whole are getting milder. And I don't know if that's just like because I'm getting used to them. <laughs> so it just that's very true, feels yeah. that way. Um and this one does sound maybe a little bit more bland than than normal. I'm not saying that IPAs by any means are generally bland, but it seems like there used to be this real trend of like this is just going to punch you in the face. Yeah. Right? It's just going to absolutely <laughs> knock you on your ass. Um yeah. and now like they don't quite do that as much it feels like. I don't know. Is that your impression? I think I think the ones that are being marketed and in the grocery stores, like we've seen a a higher kind of variety of IPAs in grocery stores. And I feel like they want to stock the ones that are not going to be so aggressive to non-IPA mm. drinkers. That's a good point. So if you go to a, a liquor store or something like that and search out an IPA, I don't think that those aggress quote aggressive IPAs are gone. I just think that they're not in the Myers, they're not in the Targets, they're not in the Walmarts. And they're they're kind of leaning more towards the the easier to drink mixed pack variety. Great Lakes put this in a 15 pack for a reason, mm -hmm. right? It's going to appeal to as many people as possible. That's going to try and get them to come back to try something else. Yeah. And so with, with with that kind of in mind, I think that yes, the theory is true. I also think it's more of we've expanded how many beers we have available to us mm -hmm. and therefore the kind of the mass market supermarket type stores have kind of shifted into the less hoppy, yeah. the, the more mild. Yeah, beer. that's fair. That's fair. What about you? What's on your flight tonight? So uh, I had my birthday a couple weeks ago. Um, Happy and, birthday. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. I'm in the last year of my 20s now. So that's the thing. That is very sad. <laughs> You'll be there and just to like, oh. you should drink. <laughs> You'll be there too soon too, buddy. Yeah, I know. You're heading that Don't way. Remind me. Um, but anyways, so one of the gifts that um, that someone got me was sort of like the makings of a Sazerac cocktail. Oh, cool. Um, okay. So kind of like the authentic, quote unquote, authentic version or whatever. So like getting the right bitters, um, getting um, there's like a, a liqueur that it, that's made with called like herb saint, um, which I tasted straight and tasted very weird and it made my mouth numb. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but it's like very, it's like a very herby, very strong. It's like 50% liqueur. Um, oh, wow. And then Sazerac whiskey um, and then like a lemon peel. So it has like, um, and simple syrup. So it has a, um, or it actually says a sugar cube, but I made it with simple syrup instead. <laughs> Because um, you didn't go to the feed market. 
<laughs> yeah, I went out back and checked, and I, you know, the horse ate them all. So now I didn't. Know. Oh, I hate it when the horse does that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But also, like, you're making it mostly with Sazerac and this like herb saint stuff, both of which are like right around. I think Sazerac's like 45 or something percent and 50 percent. So Oof. it's like this is not like a cocktail. This is like straight liquor. Yeah. Um, and so the like water portion of the simple syrup actually really helped. Um, Ooh. So I just put like water in a in a cup or in a like a glass, like a rocks glass, and then like sugar, and like mix it until it dissolves, and, mm. then, and then make okay. the cocktail on top of that. But it's really good. I've I've been really enjoying them. Um, they're it is like strong. It's spirited for sure, and it still tastes like whiskey. E Sazerac um, is a rye whiskey, and and so it has like that very strong, you know, like oaky and like just whiskey flavors. But the Herb Saint has, like I said, it, it is also like a very distinct fa- flavor profile that is like herby. Um, and then the, like both the bitters and the lemon peel make it sort of like that bright lemony citrus flavor. Um, so we haven't had a lot of cocktails on here. I just thought it would be fun to like bring one yeah. on, you know? Um, and specifically since it was gotten for me, I thought it'd be kind of fun to share. So if I'm feeling like something that's not quite like whiskey, but I, you know, want to have a whiskey taste, this is like a little softer and nicer and Again, yeah. citrusy and, and it has has a little bit of the sugar, so it's definitely in like the realm of like an old fashioned, um, but just tilted maybe more towards like where old fashioned has like orange, which is maybe a softer citrus flavor. This has like lemon, which is a pretty sharp, you know, citrus flavor plus that like herbiness. Would you describe it as refreshing or not? Yeah, yeah. Right? Like I, I think of like a, a lemon beer as kind of refreshing, right? But I don't think I've ever had a. A, a dr- uh, like a mixed drink with whiskey and lemon. So I, I didn't yeah. know if that kind of provided the same effect. I think you maybe you maybe could. The only thing is that it is like it is still like very spirited. Oh, you know, it's yeah, very okay. strong. But I could see myself like if I was outside and I specifically wanted a, a whiskey based mixed drink, that this would probably. It's a better option certainly than like a Manhattan, which is like pretty <laughs> pretty dark and syrupy. You know, yeah. so. Um, but yeah, that brightness for sure makes it kind of refreshing. Okay. Well, that, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. I have not really dabbled, I think, at all in whiskey-based spe- or like mixed drinks, yeah. cocktails. I think really everything that I've ever done has been in the vodka, gin, rum yeah. kind of realm, and I've never really mixed whiskey with anything. So I may have to look into doing that. Yeah. Because I enjoy whiskey. I enjoy mixed drinks. Right. The, ergo, <laughs> A equals B. <laughs> QED. Yeah, it's like... It's hard because whiskey's expensive, right? And so, like, you can have a vodka-based mm, mixed mm-hmm. drink, and you're like, this vodka cost me 30 cents, you know, to put, right. like, <laughs> put into this drink. And, and whiskey's more expensive, and so... But you do feel more sophisticated. You do. You feel fancy AF, so <laughs> you, know, you got that going for you. It's true. But yeah, three cheers. Um, I've been having a lot of these, so, you know, I would be happy at this point to order it at a bar. Um, yeah, I can tell. You're starting to slur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, an official Nolan's cocktail. So, oh yeah, there you go. You know, you can perfect take that how you will, but, <laughs> but yeah, I've enjoyed him. Awesome. Well, that's really exciting to hear. I will have to try it at some point. But without further ado, we are going to record McKay's portion at a different time, just like we have the last couple. So we're going to go ahead and splice in the audio right now. So we have McKay Anderson, the board critic, who is the Backfire resident gameplay and mechanics designer who has just (laughs) finished up a successful Kickstarter snack time on the podcast with us today. How are you doing, McKay? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. It's been a while. 
Yeah, it's. I mean, you've been on. You, we talked about expansions, and now we get to talk about the game that you designed and you are bringing into this world. Yeah. So that's really exciting. Do you have any expansions so. lined up for it yet? <laughs> um, <laughs> How many times comes, have you been asked that? <laughs> right. Um, it comes with one mini expansion, which um, was kind of in the back of my head the whole time. We didn't decide to make it an actual like stretch goal until like the later stages of the campaign, mm. where I was like, you know what? We needed stretch goals because it went a there you better go. Good than problem I thought it would. <laughs> and so that's a good problem. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And so I was like, okay, what can we do? And I was like, oh, I've been playing around with this idea for a while. So we did throw <laughs> in a little mini expansion. Um, but to answer the question, <laughs> really, um, it's more we have things planned for the world that it exists mm. in. Um but not necessarily for the game itself. Um, it's a okay. pretty simple game and I don't want to overcomplicate the simple mm-hmm. nature of it, but we loved working with our illustrator and stuff so much that we we're like, we'd love to just do more with this art style and kind of flesh out the world that we created. So if I understand you correctly, you're creating a series of games that are within the same world. They're using the same characters. Am I allowed to ask about the future games or? Um, I mean, I, you can ask. <laughs> it's it's very much, it's a nebulous kind of idea mm-hmm. for us right now. So Snack Time itself is a roll and write, which sits pretty squarely in like the medium weight game um, category where we could probably go a little heavier and do um, kind of a worker placement, something or other. We could probably go a little bit lighter and do like a family card game. The art style that we struck kind of hits a broad range of audiences as far as age grade and interest goes. And so that's where we're like, man, it's a shame to not show more of this art and kind of tell more of this story. So we literally have little to no idea of what it would be, but we just really like the characters and stuff. Yeah, the art and the theme really drew me into this game. I mean, I don't want to brag, but I also know the designer. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, it's such a super unique and fun art style. And so can you talk to me a little bit about that? Like, how did that come about? Was that your vision? Did you work with the illustrator, the artist to kind of build that? Or talk to me a yeah. little bit about that. Um, so it actually came about really authentically, if you will. So I, I follow a lot of artists on Instagram. Um, I, I think I have five Instagram accounts. One of those is <laughs> my art as well as artists that I follow. Okay. And so I follow a lot of them. I had seen his artwork for a while, probably a year, year and a half. And I reached out to him and I just said, I love your art. Would you be interested at any point in time, like doing some kind of board game with your art? And um, his name is Bodie Hartley. Um, he goes by Slow Quest on okay. um, Instagram and stuff. So I can get you links and stuff to his uh, work. But he said, he's like, yeah, I've played around with games before. I do Dungeons and Dragons, like characters and weapons and stuff like that. That's uh, 5e compatible. And he was like, I would love that. And so then... I kind of set about designing a game to actually fit his artwork. So that's typically not how we work. Usually it's we create the game, the story, all of that, then try and find an artist to match. But this one, it just all came together. I started looking at his artwork and I was like, I just feel like there's a good game here where creatures are just like (laughs) eating people. And I have a dark (laughs) sense of humor. If you know anything about me, it's that I my my humor is off color in kind of the macabre and gruesome (laughs) category. Um, and so, yeah, the game was actually designed around his artwork rather than his artwork, um, advising the, um, instead of his artwork being advised, like through us or kind of filtered through us, 
we gave him almost full creative control and just said, we want to showcase your art in the best possible way. And so we were really happy that people identified with it. I mean, it, it, it is so engaging, right? I think we play tested it at PAX mm-hmm. and we had people come by and like, what is that? Like, it, I mean, it, it's really one of those that has a table presence, which I think a lot of roll and writes kind of miss. Yeah. And so, so it's nice. It's kind of unique in that sense. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. So, so you said this is not how we typically interact. So are you typically work? Mm-hmm. So I think on BGG, you have two games now credited to your name. You have Snack Time and Black Rabbit Dice. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say this is not typically how we act, is, are you referring to Black Rabbit Dice? Or are you referring to other projects that have not come to fruition yet? Yeah. So I'm talking about the other ones that okay. are working. <laughs> Black Rabbit Dice can be... Um, um, can be forgotten. Prop. No, I, I'm I'm proud of Black <laughs> Rabbit Dyson for what it is. Um, but I definitely I purchased like an icon pack um, off of the internet to do that one, and I was just like, you know, what? I just need something quick and dirty. That project. I mean, we could probably talk about that one. It's an entirely separate episode. It was a it was a journey. Um, but no, I'm talking about since we've established Backfire Games, me and my business partner and how we prefer to work is usually game idea find the artists, um, and go forward from there. Gotcha. Very cool. So snack time, let's, let's talk a little bit about snack time, right? Because I want to, I want to promote the game a little bit and (laughs) and get people, I I don't know how they would not have heard of it yet because, (laughs) (laughs) but let's, uh, so you said it's a rolling, right? Can you talk Mm -hmm. to me a little bit more about the mechanics and how you play the game? Absolutely. So, uh, snack time is a roll and write at its core. Um, what it is, it's, it's a path building game. You have kind of like you would have like a revolving market of cards, but we wanted to have basically a street kind of set in like a grimy London, uh, downtown that's kind of period ambiguous. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you have people that every turn they would take a, they take a step further down the street. Um, or you could call them blocks, however you want, but they move further down the street. And based on their location, you're trying to uh, feed your monsters underneath the city. And you've created these little uh, test tube creations that while they grow, they kind of develop different traits. Like some have more eyes than others. Some have tentacles or teeth. And in order for them to successfully take a bite out of one of these pedestrians that are walking along the street, you kind of need, uh, it's a little bit of like a timing game where you kind of line up the monster with the le- right trait ending up at the right sewer entrance to take, you know, a leg or an arm off of that pedestrian <laughs> as it passes by. So the mechanics are pretty clear. You roll all the dice, you add traits to your monsters, you add pipes to your sewer to try and connect them to the sewer entrances in time to take a bite out of the tastiest people. <laughs> and <laughs> when I say... <laughs> When I say my humor borders on the macabre and dark, it's when I started this, I was like, all right, there are two types of people. You have your homeless that are easy to snack on, but they're not very nutritious. Or you have like your fat, plump, juicy snacks. And that's where we got the name snack time. It was like, it's just, you're taking little bites out of these people and some are just higher quality people than others. I'm a goddamn snack. It's like, yes, you are. Oh man, yeah. that is hilarious! I love that. I love that. So, so it it kickstarted. It was a very mm-hmm. successful Kickstarter, over seven hundred percent funded. It funded in about twenty four hours, yeah. I think. I think that I was right at twenty four hours. <laughs> I mean that that's that's awesome. Congratulations! So, pretend like you didn't know how it was going to do, and that it was going to mm-hmm. be so successful. Take me back to right when you hit publish. How did that feel? 
Um, I, there are a few things that were as nerve wracking in my life <laughs> than that moment. Um, yeah. and it was not that we had like a ton sunk into this, like me and my business partner, we kind of split the cost of development, which I won't tell you prices just because I don't yeah. want you judging our artist's work based mm-hmm. off of what we yeah. paid him. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I want you to value his art for exactly what it is, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> and so we, because we were splitting the cost between us, it was something that we were totally okay if it didn't fund. We we're like, this has been enjoyable. We've we've met a great artist. We've developed a game that we enjoy. So while the stakes were actually very low, I know a lot of companies that probably have sunk like, <clears throat> you know, like uh, tens of thousands of dollars into mm-hmm. the development of a game and before they push play on Kickstarter. That was not our case. Wow. Um, but it being our first companies, it was just kind of like a, you could say like an ego thing that I was worried about the emotional blow that I would take if it just tanked completely. Right. Um, yeah. So very, very nerve wracking. I think the two days leading up to it, um, I barely slept at all, just oh, up at no. night, like nightmares <laughs> and just thinking through things, making last minute changes and tweaks to all of it. And yeah. And I got up that morning. I was like, I have to set like an hour. <laughs> I have to set like a day of the week. And a lot of advice online says not to do that. They're like, if it's, it's ready when it's ready, don't rush it. And I was like, no, like I I'll freak out and like panic publish yeah. it at some point yeah. if I don't set like a clear time. So I said 10 o'clock on Tuesday, I'm just doing it. It's just, just going to happen. And so, yeah, and I think that was a wise thing for me. And I, I don't know if that's going to happen with every Kickstarter that we do. I pray it doesn't, but I kind of... <laughs> you think you're going to get used to it over yeah. time? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> so if I, could, if I could ask a bit of a financial question then. So, you, you know, when you talk about those tens of thousands mm-hmm. that go into development for a bigger company, um, for, for someone like yourself um, on, a, on, a, on a more indie um, sort of platform, what, what is sort yeah. of contributing to Sunk? cost like what's kind of building into that before you hit publish yeah so the biggest thing i mean at this point in my life my time and my energy is free um because i have a full-time job we are like an indie studio that's developing this like at nights and weekends so i can i don't factor my time and energy into that because i genuinely love it and it's not um it's not supporting Mm -hmm. my family currently Um, so beyond that, it's really, we had done a handful of prototypes, um, which we tried to do very cost-effective. We had local places, or, I mean, I have a laser engraver and a 3d printer that we had done Mm. pieces through that as well. Um, so, I mean, as far as we, we had a handful of prototypes, which you're in the, like the hundreds of dollars range. Um, we had prepared for a couple local conventions that we had gone to, you know, a couple hundreds again, the biggest Mm -hmm. cost was art. And then, um, advertising is one thing that with this one, we didn't do a lot of, but I think in the future and going forward, I think we're going to find that that's one of the bigger, um, Mm. the bigger expenses to pay for actual ad space on BGG or a couple mailing lists Mm -hmm. or blogs or whatever to try and get review copies to people as well as just come just some of that leading up um, exposure, I imagine is going to be the biggest cost increment. But for us at this point in our company's development, it was definitely uh, mm-hmm. largely artwork. Yeah, that's that's helpful. I appreciate you sharing that because, again, just thinking about the audience um, mm-hmm. 
for us, you know, I think the, the interest comes from people who think like, well, maybe I want to do this myself. Right. And so just kind of starting to paint a little bit of a picture around like, Hey, here's what, what this might entail for you. If someone pursued a similar path, um, you know, that's, that's where I come from and asking that question. So it's, it's helpful to hear. Um, Yeah. And I would say like the, the thing that caught us the most by surprise, I would say is you have the artwork for the game, but you probably have that plus a third, um, is probably going to go to Kickstarter. We had we had the luck of um, both me and my business partner are artists. And so we were able to do a lot of the things for the actual Kickstarter campaign when it comes to like headers and borders, like support imagery, mm, the yeah. gifts of like how the game is played and all of that, we were able to generate mm. ourselves. And so that's why I say a lot of what we did, I count as free when normally it would not be. And that's that just comes from our skill sets as artists and programmer yeah. type yeah. people. You know, sometimes I would be screwed. Yeah. <laughs> it would be up the creek. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We would call you. Uh, well, <laughs> please do. For sure. So, so like, like Dalton was saying, we have, a, we have listeners that are interested in designing games and have been listening to this series to, you know, get kind of a different perspective. We have people who just enjoy kind of hearing about it, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of curious. You said all of these like banners and designs and everything that go into the Kickstarter, like what are some of the maintenance items that are behind the scenes that people need to be aware of if they want to pursue starting a Kickstarter themselves? Um, Kickstarter itself is... It's a complete system, like an ecosystem, if you will, that is kind of hard to wrap your head around. Um, Some of the things we definitely learned a lot about, we're still learning things about this, which seems to be the prevailing method of getting a board game to market is through a Kickstarter or a game found. And honestly, at the end of the day, they're marketing platforms. You are paying Kickstarter or game found a portion of what you generate and assume that it's marketing. And that's that's one thing is you have to understand that Kickstarter, it's, it's marketing, but it's also kind of a social media platform. Mm. As people hear about you, they purchase a game from you or they back something of yours, you create a following. And if I'm sure a lot of you have backed things on Kickstarter, you'll probably get spam messages constantly. It's like, hey, this person that you a backed lot. something through like five years ago, they did another <laughs> thing. And it's like, even if it's not even related to board games or what you backed previously, it's just like, hey, this person, it did another thing. And that is the reason we chose Kickstarter. I don't know if GameFound does that because I haven't backed enough through GameFound, but Kickstarter is really good at spamming people. (laughs) And honestly, it works. (laughs) I would be lying if I said I haven't bought something off one of those spam emails. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And they can show you like you when you push publish and you see like where stuff starts rolling in we have a good like um i mean it gives it in percent so it's like thousands of percent because of like uh what our goal was and stuff but a huge percent of it is through um kickstarter pushing emails to people and they they demonstrate that oh wow Um, so that is one huge thing is preparing for your kickstarter's launch is a gathering a following. Um, Jamie Stegmeyer has a whole blog post about daily things to do to grow your following. And this is an example of one of those things is like be active in the community, um, just being vocal and present and 
growing your tribe that way. Um, Kickstarter has like the pre-publish uh, pages that go up. Oh, wow, that's a nice alliteration. <laughs> um, <laughs> they kind of, you can follow the project before it even goes live. And things like that, um, there, are, there are also marketing companies out there that won't support your project unless you can show that you have at least a thousand people oh, wow. waiting for your project to launch. Wow. And that's like their metric of this is going to be successful because we can see that you have at least a thousand people on either a mailing list or already following your project that um, we can see that we can support your product mm-hmm. now because you've proven a following. So that's all a huge part of how you should view Kickstarter. It starts getting depressing if you look at like the cut that they take <laughs> and all of those kinds of things. But honestly, it's marketing dollars and I, it's it's honestly well spent at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. So what challenges did you have while running the Kickstarter? Maybe like unforeseen things that popped up. Like you kind of talked about the fees. I, I don't necessarily mean that, but yeah. like questions from backers or yeah. things that you weren't not actually expecting. What popped up? So both a good and a bad. So when you say challenges, um, it is a double-sided coin, but you have people on Kickstarter are extremely invested. You have a lot of people who just, yeah, they back it. It looks interesting. They're kind of a little bit philanthropic in the sense that they just want to see something like come to life and they get excited about that. But then you also have a huge group of people who they demand updates. Mm. If, if you haven't yeah. done like a monthly update, then they're spamming you on the project page. It's like, Hey, we haven't heard anything in a while. Like, did we lose our money on this? Are you still like going to pr- oh, deliver wow. and stuff? And it's just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we were silent for one month. Like I was on fair. vacation. Come on. Like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so that's always surprising to me. And I always forget until somebody is like, Hey, what's up? Why haven't we, why haven't we heard from you? And I'm like, oh yeah, sorry, <laughs> I forgot the monthly update. These are your investors uh, speaking to you, so direct. <laughs> exactly. And so it is a good thing that people are that invested. And the reason I say that is we didn't have the rulebook completely set up when we um, when we pushed launch. We had the rules, but we couldn't provide like, hey, here's a beautiful like laid out rulebook. Because right. we're new and, you know, we, <laughs> we're we working through that. Um, and so when I developed like the first draft of the rule book, I just sent out a message and said like, hey, we have a first draft. If anybody feels confident in proofreading or editing in English, um, we can send you a first draft and have you uh, look over that. We had a good like 20 something people that were oh, like, wow. hey, I'm an English major. Like, hey, I majored in creative writing and tons of people that didn't ask for anything in return they were just like we'd love to take a look at the initial rule book and um it was hugely helpful my background i consider myself a decent writer and speaker of english (laughs) but um it was amazing some of the things that they pulled out some of the things that they pointed out as as kind of like uh, verbally ambiguous in the rule book i was like you know what you're right that is really confusing and i don't know how (laughs) i didn't see that you can only look at the same passage of text like so many times before you just like yeah 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 so very it's like i said it's a it's a two-sided coin it is a challenge to keep everybody happy keep up with the constant needs for like address changes or mm. nitpicky questions about the rules that it's like okay really i don't get that nitpicky until i've like played a game like five <laughs> times and then i'm like oh you know what there's this question that i have <laughs> so 
impressive. <laughs> Putting out FAQs like, before yeah. the rule book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No joke. Um, but yeah, so a very good thing, but also a challenge to to deal with. I mean, when you get upwards of like two, three thousand people who all have like questions, it's it's management. Um, yeah, that's a lot of time. It's a lot of time. Did you have like a biggest change or something that you went through that you had to edit very heavily after you hit publish? So we actually did have a big, a big change. Um, I don't know how it slipped through in our initial like preparations, but I think we had just created a lot of the imagery, a lot of like the how to play videos and stuff. And we realized after like, cause we were play testing while the campaign was going, especially after we knew that it was funded. We were like, all right, let's just like really hammer out any mm. issues. Yeah. And um, we found that, so we had advertised as seven custom dice and we realized that we only needed five of those. <laughs> we were like, <laughs> there are two dice that in an earlier version of the game were necessary. But as we started like stripping out unnecessary fat from the game and the rules were like, there are two dice in here that are completely <laughs> superfluous, like completely. But it was part of the structure of the game. We were charging people for a game with seven custom dice. And I was like, my my business partner was like, I mean, we can just like change that, right? And I was like, no, people get crazy about the dice. Like, you cannot. And the dice are the biggest cost mm. in this game. Like yeah. they're custom, they're 18 millimeter, they're big, chunky. Like they're a custom resin color with custom ink. Like we we put a lot into these dice and they are the primary cost driver. And I was like, it just looks really underhanded to say, this is the product we're charging this much for this offering. And then cut out like, that's a big percentage (laughs) when you think two out of seven. Um, So I, I actually restructured a lot of the game to, to make those two extra dice as a module in the Mm. game um, that you can optionally include to change them. So it's called the rat snacks module. And um, basically, if you want to play with those extra two dice, you roll them, it'll give you a location on the map to introduce a rat into the sewer, and you get extra points for connecting your uh, pipe network through these rat spaces on your way to um, the sewer entrances to snack on your real people. (laughs) Um, And it, it works so much better. It improved the game by so much and we're very happy that it happened but yeah it was mid-campaign that i was like oh no (laughs) what are we gonna do do we just include dice that are completely unnecessary in there um and so it all worked out in the end but yeah that was the biggest pivot that we had to make and we shot we were really trying to be completely transparent with all of our um with all of our backers and we introduced the proposal what we wanted to do what the problem was and um i think we got a really positive feedback from everybody so that's good so was that like a survey that you sent out or i don't remember seeing that but honestly like a lot of the kickstarter like updates i just kind of right read yeah there's a lot of them i've backed way too many kickstarters there's way too many emails Yeah, I think it was um, in one of those updates. They were like, oh, hey, and here's this weird thing that happened. (laughs) Um, And yeah, everybody got really excited about the idea of rat snacks. It also helps with it. It rhymed and had nice alliteration and stuff like that. 
Um, so yeah, it was just an update that we sent out and we said, okay, here's the problem. Here's our plan. We want to know what you think. And, um, yeah, everybody was, everybody was pretty happy about it. Yeah. I'm glad the, I'm glad the community awesome. kind of like yeah. honored your, you know, intention there, right? Like, you know, I, yeah. it's, it's an honest mistake, <laughs> you know, um, it's a pretty <laughs> in retrospect, a little bit of a funny one, Okay. So how, how long did your Kickstarter run for? <laughs> Um, sorry, I laugh because that was that was probably the other mistake I should have pointed out. Okay. Um, I you can run it from anywhere from I think I don't know what the lowest amount is, but you can run it up to sixty days. Okay. Um, we did sixty, and that was a huge, huge mistake. Well, why? Sorry, I can't really consider it a mistake because it all worked out just fine. Yeah. And who knows how it would have worked out? I feel otherwise. like it would just naturally um, hit the max and just yeah. Say, oh, sure. And I mean, Kickstarter has warnings. They're like the most successful pro- projects run from twenty to thirty days, and. In my mind, I was like, listen, having it open for longer doesn't necessarily hurt because it's just at that point, it's pre-orders. Mm-hmm. Like you're just opening up the platform for right. people to pre-order yeah. the product. Um, the mistake or why I would not do that again is one, I didn't anticipate the mental um, stamina mm-hmm. that yeah. it would take. Yeah. Um, having two months worth of a project like running, um, it was exhausting. And you just have to keep up that energy and momentum. The The project will hit a spike at the beginning. It'll kind of level off with like usually fairly steady growth. And then it hits a spike at the end. Okay. Um, the reason why I think 60 days was a mistake is because you, you can't really move forward confidently with like manufacturing costs and all of that, like starting to crunch actual numbers and kick off actual like the nuts and bolts of it until you have concrete numbers um just because that affects the pricing it affects like what factories can handle your project and all of that so it was it was difficult to just sit for two months wanting to start put putting these plans into action and not being able to but at the same time you have to keep up your energy and your enthusiasm and your motivation for the actual kickstarter campaign and keeping people like engaged throughout that process so it's really a matter of cadence um when you kick off your kickstarter and then you that's why stretch goals are actually a very cool thing people get excited to see them unlocked one by one it yeah. keeps their energy up throughout the campaign so that it doesn't lose its shininess before like the end so they don't like drop out or pull mm. their back mm. um and so really overall i can't really call it a mistake but i won't <laughs> <do it again. laughs> um, it's a lesson and, learned yeah and the reason i laughed was because i set it to 60 and then it was something I totally was intending to drop down to 30 before I hit go. And I didn't, I forgot to. And so it was the one thing. And it's one of the only things that you cannot change. You can't change your pledge tiers because obviously, um, but you, (laughs) you also can't change the duration of it, which I think is personally a little bit silly. Mm. I think like, why can't you change it to within like, I, I mean, even 10, five or 10 yep. days, like I get that you can't just end it like that. <laughs> right. Why can't you shorten it up and still <laughs> yeah. give people yeah. five days? Like, right. Anyway, I thought it was silly. It was a pure mistake. Although I'm not a fan of saying like it wasn't meant to be because maybe there was a good reason for it. Yeah. So if, 
So you would go like the 30 route in the future? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And also just coming from like the social media side and view of it, it's hard Mm -hmm. to hype up a game for 60 days, for two months. Like the board game industry changes fairly quickly with Mm -hmm. kind of what is the hotness and what what people are talking about. And it's got to be something really big to go for two months. And so... Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That I would just never thought I would have. I would have sat there and done the exact same as you. Let's yeah, sixty can only be better. More yeah. days, more money. Right, <laughs> time is money. Yeah. Yep. Can't be worse. <laughs> so that so that's interesting. So you yeah. talked about working with the manufacturers and needing to wait until the final Kickstarter had wrapped up and everything, and that was hard after the two months. So after the Kickstarter ended, what are the nuts and bolts kind of going into getting it published? Like, I, if I ran a Kickstarter, I would have no idea what to do next. Like, I'm making them in my garage if I do it right now. So I think that's not what you're doing. So, like, what 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 does that process look like? So we had, we had found a couple of factories before <clears throat> starting the Kickstarter, and that was just for kind of the um, fact finding of figuring out how much the game would cost to make, running the numbers, seeing what we could offer it at. And we had a couple factories lined up and we chose one um, and we ran the numbers off of this specific one because he was really easy to get in touch with. Um, he, I believe is from Austria, um, but he works for um, a Chinese company. So it was really easy to talk to him. Um, and he was just really clear. He clearly had like a really good grasp on um, board games, the things that are offered. And it's a smaller company. So it's Hero Time Manufacturing is the manufacturer that we went with. They're smaller. And what that offered was he was willing to just like get creative with us. If we had something that was just a little bit harebrained and we're like, okay, we know it's not typical, but we want to try this. um, He was really good to work with us. So those all went into uh, some of the decisions that we made there. They also offered a 500 uh, minimum order quantity or MOQ. Um, and we weren't sure how many we'd be ordering. We ended up ordering 3000. So it really wasn't a concern. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Congrats. Yeah, thanks. The, it was the, we, we were like, okay, but we do want this. Like, we know it might be kind of the site process of getting the ball rolling. So we're like, if we need to go as low as 500 MOQ, let's start it there. Let's price it so they can be successful at 500 copies. Um, and so that was, that was the biggest hurdle. But it is amazing the amount of work, especially today in today's market with shipping prices being outrageous. Oh, yeah. Nobody can predict shipping like a month from now. It could double in <laughs> cost in that amount yeah. of time. And so trying to figure out um, how to do shipping, which is why a lot of Kickstarters now are like shipping will be charged after the campaign. Mm-hmm. It's a super risky thing um, for a backer to do because it's like, I don't, I, yeah. I don't know how much it's going to be. Um <laughs> So shipping could be more than the game. Exactly. And a lot of people did ask to cancel their pledge because they were like, I can't pay like double the cost of the game just to get it to somewhere like, I don't know, Croatia or whatever. Um, And we were like, that's completely fine. We totally understand, which spoiler alert, that's why we've designed another project that we're hoping will launch in just a couple months that fixes shipping issues. So um, we can talk about that a little bit later. Um, Okay. And the, so a lot of that was just tricky in the sense of there are so many unknowns and a lot of this industry is just like, we have to move forward on a little bit of a wing and a prayer and hope that it all turns out to the best of our calculations. 
Um, you obviously have to work in a little bit of padding that it's like, okay, if things were to go bad, we could still pull it off. Mm. Um, and we're really hoping we just actually today got the invoice um, for so that we can wire <laughs> the full <laughs> amount to our manufacturer um, in order to start like push go on the manufacturing of the games. So I'm going to dig into that tomorrow and probably do that wire transfer. But sweet. Yeah, it's it's weird. <laughs> I don't think I've ever spent that much money on anything at one time in my life. But um, it's not really my money, right? Yeah. It's right, yeah. But it feels yeah. I'm sure it feels so like kind it of is. Nice. you know, it feels like it you're does. writing the check. You, you know? see that invoice. Yeah. <laughs> um so that's I mean, that's part of it. There's also things that you just wouldn't expect, like the factory coming back and saying, like, you know what? you designed your rule book with these fonts. We need to verify that you have the rights to use those fonts. So we have to go about like proving that. And um, we do, and it's fine, but um, you also have like, okay, if it's going to be distributed in the UK or EU, you have these like variety of tests that you have to go to for it to sit on a store shelf. They literally can't put your game on their shelf unless you have certain certifications and tests being done on the inks and dyes and types of plastic choking hazards, all of that crap that I'm wow. just like, <laughs> and it, that <laughs> God bless our manufacturers because they've been awesome in talking through a lot of that with us as well. Um, they've been really helpful and just like, okay, here are some things that you need to consider. And I don't know if all manufacturers are that helpful in providing some guidance as far as we didn't know that you have to have an address on the box um, for it to for it to be distributed and pass a lot of these certifications. And so I was like, I don't really want to put my home address, but we don't yeah, have right? a business address yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> so we're like, okay, so we're opening up a PO box at our post office so that we can put yeah. an address on there that doesn't point people to our yeah. <laughs> Um, it's like getting hate mail. Anyway, so <laughs> I know, <laughs> which uh, would be kind of funny, but I think I think once you start getting hate mail, you know you've made That's it. That's probably anyway, true. Right? It's a bit yeah, of a bucket right? list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So anyway, it's it's hard to point to any one thing because there are so many just like things that you wouldn't expect, and I expect that to happen now for any future project no matter what we're doing we haven't done something with wooden meeples in it and i assume there's a whole slew of issues that come with how you design <laughs> mm. those is this ethically right, sourced regulations wood? of exactly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ethically sourced all of that kind of stuff that man it's and it's part of it's part of the joy of the game i'm game pun not intended but you do have to if you're going to do this i think you have to appreciate that as part of the journey and just enjoy that learning process of every like every other day a new email comes in and it's just like oh i didn't think about that <laughs> and you just have to figure yeah. it out and so everybody cut some slack for those kickstarters that are years behind um things happen and it's something that everybody's learning and that's i've loved the board game community for just like that general support that people most of the time they're just like, yeah, I mean, we're here, we've got your back and we just want to see cool things happen. And, and that's, that's really cool. And it sounds like there are just so many of those little things that you never really expected. And so was that just kind of a learn on the fly that you have resources that you can point people to, to help them learn and understand some of the hurdles that they're going to be encountering on their journey? So I would say the most thorough, um, the most thorough body of work 
that outlines Kickstarter, things that you should think about and clear advice on how to do those things is uh, Jamie Stegmeier has a book on Kickstarter, on kickstarting things. Um, <clears throat> great advice. And he gives links. I mean, he'll, he provides uh, tables of what it costs to manufacture all the pieces of most of his games. Um, oh, wow. He's extremely transparent. If you haven't spent time on his blog, um, it's amazing. Like probably the best body of just like clear reference material that you can get um, as, as a point of uh, professional interest. Me and my business partner have committed to reading an article um, from Jamie's blog daily just to try it. I mean, there's so much information there, but that's really the only resource that I can point to. The majority of it has been like just to learn on the fly. Like if you had asked me before where I can register a barcode and the different types <laughs> of barcode libraries that I need to sort through and all of that, like, I mean, we're also working with a trademark lawyer to try and get our logo protected so that somebody can't just rip off our game. I mean, yeah, people can wow. always rip off a game, but just so that they would at least have to scrub our logo <laughs> from yeah. their cheap knockoff of our game. Right. Again, um, bucket wow. list though. So Yeah. <laughs> You've made yeah. it. <laughs> You've made it. Yeah. I, I now have a yeah, exactly. Um Yeah. So really interesting things that um, don't, I, I would say if I've learned anything from just being a professional in most of my jobs, um, it's like, huh, grownups are just kind of like kids still trying to figure out the best way to do things. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. I, <laughs> right. Daily. It's like somebody comes into your office and they're like, Hey, I need you to get this done. It's like, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I will, I will figure that one out. <laughs> yeah. Let me look into that for you. Yeah. I'll get back to you. <laughs> so don't, don't feel like you're an imposter. I mean, imposter syndrome is a real thing. Um, especially if you're going to start designing board games, don't kid yourself and think that anybody's really qualified to do it. It's mm. <clears throat> if you have passion and you have like the willingness to learn and deal with issues as they come up and stuff. And I think you'll know if you're the person that, um, that can do that. Just just uh, take it with a grain of salt. Smile your way through all <laughs> unexpected twists and turns. Yeah, excellent. So if, if people wanted to kind of follow Backfire or your journey with new things coming out or snack time and, and the updates there, what is the best place to get involved with that specifically? And then we'll go into how people can find you. Yeah, so um, the, the main place that we've decided to carry most of our updates and stuff, there's obviously our website, updating the website can be cumbersome and long. So you can <laughs> check back on the website regularly, but we do recommend um, Discord. If you want to join our Discord, I can provide a link. Um, I There should also be a link somewhere on our website if you want to join the Discord. It is the most up-to-date area of information. It's where we actually perform all of our business meetings um, for development and stuff like that. So a lot of times we go straight from our development meeting to updating um, the people on our Discord. We have... Mm open play testing of all of our games in development, um, print and play options, as well as if you're interested in getting a physical copy of a prototype when we get things on tabletop simulator. Um, if you want to be involved in kind of that design process as a company, we're pretty much an open book. And so, um, like I said, I can provide the discord link that can be in the show notes. Um, also our website, I'll make sure it's somewhere on there probably <laughs> right after this. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's that's definitely the best place. And that's where you'll be closest to the information coming out of Backfire Games. Great. Yeah. And 
Before we close, I want to circle back to something that you had mentioned about solving the world shipping crisis. <laughs> so can you talk to me about yeah. that? So this is something that all of this information is on Discord if you want to join Discord. So it is it is public information. But our next game is going to be a print and play only. One thing that was devastating during this Kickstarter was to realize there were a lot of people who were interested in the game interested in getting new games and we realize there's a large portion of the world that just doesn't have the access to cost-effective shipping and things like that coming out of america or germany which are probably the two biggest board game creation hubs right right and a lot of people were like hey we'd love to play this but we just can't like the shipping is just prohibitive and that was that was gut-wrenching to see that people wanted good gaming experiences but couldn't pay for a Gloomhaven sized box to be shipped to them. And right. so we were like, you know what, as a company, we want to throw the community a bone and just like, let's design a robust game that has like depth and intricacy and some, not like a, a wimpy print and play. That's just like, Hey, yeah, here, here's something that you can do. Um, but so what we've developed is it's called the wards of Stonefall, And we call it kind of the Gloomhaven of Roll and Rights. It's a five chapter campaign. Each chapter has three different maps that you print off and it's all Roll and Write based, but it's hopefully a very engaging five chapter story that over the next two or three years, we're going to be releasing chapter at a time. It's going to be $5 will be delivered directly after the campaign ends. It's deliverable in a PDF, but has like soundtracks and like robust artwork and it's uh we're so excited about it because it was just really hard to be like yeah sorry you just can't play our game if you're not willing to pay i mean to some of these places it would have been 60 something dollars to get a simple oh, wow. roll and yeah. write to wow. their door and so that's our next project that um we're very excited about and the funding goal is literally going to be somewhere around 50 to 100 dollars because <laughs> there's no cost yeah. associated mm. with it like all you need is about 5 d6s which shouldn't be a problem if you're interested in games on <laughs> um, you've gotten to that level and then access to a <laughs> yeah exactly you know you've made it win. <laughs> you have 5 d6s around your house um, no, so that's that's kind of where we are with like, we're very excited to just start building this. And it's kind of this uh, ongoing story that's going to take place over several chapters and um, will hopefully be a good way to get people games that otherwise just wouldn't be able to play the new the newest games. Yeah, that that's incredible. Just allowing the accessibility to those uh, people who don't normally have it. I think that that's a very great thing yeah. to do yeah it's a really cool vision am i allowed to sure. say that i played yes Justin? actually <laughs> yeah it, it's really good it, it, it's a lot of fun so, it's, it's very brain burning <laughs> fun fact nelson kind of broke it which was so cool. <laughs> um and it's changed a lot since then actually so i um like i said you can you can download the full version just not like with all the polished artwork and everything that i mentioned but i have the full playtest pack if you want to join our discord join our playtester specific um group um and just request it. i can give you a zip file with the entire pdf printable files and all of that that you can play test um so come join us we're very interested in um getting feedback on how it works and 
hopefully, I mean, Nelson, I should have you download it and try and break it again because <laughs> I'd love to. Yeah. After he played it, I was like, I've never seen this happen before. Like it wasn't even challenging <laughs> for him. Um, but yeah, it was it was pretty cool. It was a lot of fun. It, it is very brain burning. It's very, it, it's really cool. Like, and we only played the first scenario. Yeah. And then you kind of told us about the next scenarios mm-hmm. and just like how that changes. And I, it's, I'm really excited. I'm definitely going to be one of the backers. I'll probably get you to that 50. Cool. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> so before we log off, tell people where to find you. You're a part of so many different things <laughs> in this community. And so where can people find you? We'll throw links in the description, but yeah. Um, so I am all over the place and hopefully one of these will uh, give you an, uh, an avenue to get in touch with me because really interacting with people in the board game community um, has been one of the greatest joys of the last couple of years since I've been doing this. Um, I'm on Instagram as the board critic. Um, the board game critic is the full name. I think it shows up first if you should search either of those. Um, that's where I just post my random uh, reviews, things that I'm thinking about board games. You can also fi- uh, follow us on Backfire Games on Instagram. We're not super active there. It's just kind of when we do like bigger things that we'll post there but we do we do polls for our current games a lot so like we just changed the ink color of our dice and for snack time and we put a poll up on there and so that's where we'll take polls and get kind of like community engagement as far as um, direct feedback goes discord is definitely the best place if you want to chat with us directly get like information as it's coming out we update um discord first and so Backfire Games, the board game critic. If you want to follow the reason Nelson and I really know each other <laughs> is Board Vengers, um, primarily on YouTube. That's kind of my YouTube outlet. If you prefer yep. YouTube as a platform, um, we're both on there as the Board Vengers, and it's been really, really fun. You'll get to know a lot of great people through that. Um, and I think that's all of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not. I'm not going to let you get off. Oh no, here what did I miss? talk about? Uh, the Better Board Games Podcast. Oh, Come yeah, on. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just fun. Um, if you know um, Evan Dick from Being Friends, um, he has a YouTube channel as well as an Instagram. Um, we do have a podcast. And I, the reason I forget it is just because it just feels like fun <laughs> to me every once in a while. Um, me and Evan met each other on Instagram. And the first time we talked was our first uh, episode of our podcast and so no kidding that's fun yeah you literally by listening to our podcast we'll text back every now and then with like podcast ideas and stuff <laughs> but you can pretty much follow our entire friendship no. on our podcast <laughs> <laughs> so if that sounds interesting to you what we do in the board on the better board games podcast is we try and blend um a little bit of like morality and social change with the board game space. It's a little bit, I call it like the self-help of board games. Um, We talk about how board games change our lives, make us better, how to be better people in our board gaming adventures and just how to be decent human beings um, framed in the context of board games. So it's it's, uh, really casual and very fun, but we talk about, yeah, just a lot of self-help and uh, how we can just make the world a better place. It is a very fun podcast. It is one of the few board game podcasts that I will consistently listen to. Thank you. And so highly recommend that. That will also be in the description. So thank you so very much for coming oh, on, McKay. It has been so much yeah. fun talking with you and getting kind of to pick your brain about the Kickstarter journey and 
how stressful and exciting and wonderful that was for you. So thank you for sharing. Best of luck in the production and writing that big check <laughs> to <you>. get, <laughs> get snack time pushed. And I'm looking forward to what Backfire puts out in the thank future. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was great having you on. And we will talk to you all very soon. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.